Hey, welcome back for another week of fashion. I can't believe it is the 25th episode already. Um, since this is the first episode of July, this is another book and movie club episode, and we're going over the doom pick, the film Diana Vreeland, The Eye Has to Travel. Um, before we get into it, I just want to mention now that the July pick, um, which we'll be back to a book for, is Fashionopolis by Dana Thomas. This is a book that is probably like one of the main things that really got me most interested in more sustainable and ethically produced fashion. It's not super long, not super short, but it has a like really incredible amount of information in it and it's so perfectly written to be understandable, but you can also tell that it was really thoroughly researched. Um, so yeah, that's our pick for July and then one other thing I'll mention here too is that Fashion will be on a little break the rest of July. So we'll have this episode, in fact, Friday, and then a three-week break before we're back the first week in August to discuss Fashionopolis. Um, basically, I just like wanted to establish a little bit of time out of the year when I could take a break. And like I said, I can't believe it's already been 25 episodes. So that's a lot. Definitely could use a little bit of a break and just use the time to like plan out episodes, maybe read and watch some things to plan out the book and movie club um, and work on some other projects. But um, yeah, I just thought it would be a good summer break. And I also thought it could be a good time for you guys to like catch up on episodes that you've missed or old book and movie club picks if you're interested. And yeah, that is it. So let's get into Diana Vreeland now. So the film was from 2012 and it has lots of clips of interviews with her mixed with voiceovers that have a lot of informational material and the only like really downside I had to it was that it didn't have the titles of the people speaking about her or translations with other languages. Um, I think that could have been a really nice addition. I know I'm personally not great with recognizing people, so it made it a little tough to know who is who. But um, getting right to it, I'll just go over some kind of standout things that I learned from the movie. This definitely won't be everything, so you know, if you have time, I think it was like an hour and 20 minutes long or something, not, not super long. So definitely go back and watch it if you have a chance. But yeah, so it started out with a whole bunch of like ways of people describing her. And one thing that I wanted to point out was that her nickname, the Empress Freeland, was something that someone mentioned. And that's definitely something that you'll hear quite a bit surrounding her. And a lot of these people said that she was very original, that she had really great ideas that you really weren't seeing from anyone else at the time. And although she didn't come from a particularly wealthy background and didn't have this like natural, like quote unquote beauty that kind of fits the typical standards, she really created an insane amount of wealth and beauty in her work. And so she grew up in Paris in the Belle Epoque period, which she definitely references a lot. <laughs> you can kind of tell through the interviews she does, she really idealizes this time. But she did move to New York City when she was 10 years old with her family. And then she went on to grow up and marry 
Reed Freeland, and then they moved to London in 1929. While she was over in London, it seemed like she traveled to Paris a ton, and she said that that was like kind of where she really learned about fashion, and she connected with Chanel a lot. Um, she said that Chanel really understood what women's lives were like, and even that um, Diana herself would get fitted in Chanel's private atelier, so... I can't even imagine what those conversations would be like. Um, but yeah, then Diana Vreeland went back to London and opened her own lingerie business there. She actually mentioned one kind of thing that I thought was a little bit ironic was that the most beautiful work of her lingerie pieces was done by nuns in a Spanish convent. Um, so after she was kind of done with that venture, she went back to New York before the beginning of World War II, I think in one of the interviews, she kind of mentioned that, you know, you could tell the war was coming. And so she went to upstate New York with her family. And New York is where she spent a lot more of her career. What she is most famous for is being the fashion editor of Harper's Bazaar. At the time, she was like the only fashion editor, like she was the editor at Bazaar. Um, now, you know, you'll find all kinds of editors at magazines and but at this time it was a really new thing and she actually got the job with Carmel Snow was the editor-in-chief at the time and happened to see Diana just dancing at the St. Regis one night and thought she was super well dressed and offered her a job because she said she seemed to know a lot about clothes so I know lots of us probably wish that the job process was just that easy now but she started her infamous column called why don't you and if you have never seen this before definitely take a minute to google them they have some of the most like extravagant things that is meant to be fun meant to be funny but also has like they aren't totally unrealistic like you could do them but it's just so extravagant. One of the like classic is classic examples is she wrote one that was like, "Why don't you wash your child's blonde hair with dead champagne to make it sparkle, like the French do?" That's definitely not word for word quoting. I should have looked it up before I started recording this, but it goes along those lines. Definitely, definitely check them out. I'll see if I can find a link to add in the show notes so you guys can get an idea of these columns. I really wish I would have been able to kind of see these while she was writing them. What really made them stood out too is that she was writing these things during a really big recession, um, but it ended up being the first step in her fashion career and really would put her on the map as an editor. Okay, so that is a lot about like the early start of her career. And just a couple more interesting things that happened here is that she was actually the first one to put a bikini and a photo shoot. If you listen to last week's Fact Friday, you'll know already that the bikini was a result of fabric rations during World War II. And Diana Vreeland claimed she thought that it was the biggest thing since the atom bomb. Um, she also said, I know news when I see it. 
and so she put the first model in a photo shoot in Bazaar, and we always love to see progressive things for women. People also said that she really just gave this like fantasy to fashion, which is I kind of think where we get a lot of this like idealized fashion from where, you know, things get put in photo shoots and it makes you think your life will be a certain way. And she kind of started this whole idea of putting fashion into this fantasy world with exotic locations and just kind of crazy scenes that would really take you out of the everyday life of wearing clothing. So moving on now to her time at Vogue. So Diana Freeland worked at Harper's Bazaar for 26 years. She actually said that the whole time her salary was $18,000 and she finally, towards the end, got a raise of just $1,000. And then it just so happened that shortly after this, um, Alexander Lieberman at Vogue wanted to talk to her about going there. And so she did. And she became the fashion editor of Vogue in the 60s. And she, it was clear from this film that she really, really loved the fashion in the 60s and just the culture of the 60s too. She said you could wear what you wanted. Um, she especially really seemed taken with London fashion and said that it was really like the youth quake that came from there where young people were really able to wear anything and didn't really follow the strict guidelines of fashion anymore. And so she was kind of tasked with like making Vogue a more kind of cutting edge magazine and making it sort of the fashion magazine to follow kind of the source that everyone went to. And I mean, I think just my personal opinion, I feel like she succeeded and that really carried on for a very long time until kind of the internet explosion. She also said too that she knew fashion and just all kinds of areas in the arts were on their way to becoming more globalized. And it just kind of makes me wonder too, like what she would think of this kind of length that globalization has gone today. I think fashion has become so kind of similar and you don't really see those nuances between different locations in the world and the fashion that comes out of them. And I just wonder if she would, you know, be happy with how things have gone or if she would like to kind of see more of specialized things coming out of different geographic areas or maybe she would have some totally different idea that no one else thought of because like I said like everyone always mentioned how original she was in her thinking so I wish we could ask her but she was also really influential in bringing kind of like they said it in the movie like strange looking people into models basically that she just like kind of saw different things in people besides you know those typical beauty standards and that she really brought lots of different kinds of beauties into vogue she also one kind of just fun fact they said in the movie that she had share as a model for, for Vogue for a really long time and it started all the way back when like no one even knew who she was and I think that just kind of em emphasizes like the incredible amount of influence that Diana Freeland had in both fashion and just culture 
And along with this kind of like celebration of different beauty, she also really made it okay for women to be more outlandish and attention grabbing in their dressing and just to be more ambitious overall. Um, It was said in the movie that she had a great sense of curiosity about all culture. And I just think that that was a really interesting thing. I think it's really important to have that sense of curiosity, especially when you're working in a creative field to just really learn as much as you can about different things. And that's also kind of, you know, the idea with this podcast is that it just helps you learn a tiny little bit. But these things kind of did end up backfiring on her in the end in the film and, you know, kind of anything you look up about her, Diana Rayland didn't always please the advertisers of Vogue and eventually it ended up that she was fired from the magazine because she said in the film that she wanted a different kind of magazine. And as anyone who has even like ventured into media a tiny bit or studied it a tiny bit, um, you kind of know how important and influential those advertisers are. So it's kind of a shame that that's what ended up getting her fired. But then she did get to go on to the Met. And she said that she didn't know what she was doing after she got fired, but that one day the director called and wanted her on as a special consultant for exhibits at the Met. And it actually said in the film that they originally didn't have the funding to pay her for a position as a consultant, but people contributed money to fund the Costume Institute and fund a position for her. So I think this, again, just kind of like really pushes that level of influence that she had was that people were willing to donate their own personal money to get her in a position where she could further fashion preservation and really continue contributing to the fashion industry. She also really put the Costume Institute on the map with this. Um, You know, I don't think it was really as big of a deal as it is now, especially not to the level of like the Met Gala and things like that, which started later. But she really started it out as this big influential kind of force in fashion. And she started out with an exhibit on Balenciaga. She said she wasn't really academic, but knew history of fashion and didn't get bogged down in the academic side. But it was kind of about just the ideas and the magic of the clothing and the design and the fashion that came from these designers. She also was the very first person to do an exhibit honoring a living designer, which was a huge deal. There's like a lot of pushback, a lot of criticism for honoring someone living. Um, I'm not super familiar with like the museum side of things, but I know it's like a big kind of controversy for any kind of art to feature designers while they're still alive. But she did it and she said that his work was art and that she wanted to exhibit it and it ended up being really successful and pushed other fashion magazine or fashion museums to continue showing fashion collections. So that is really it. Um, Those are, like I said, these are just kind of like a few of the highlights of her career that I thought were really interesting from 
the movie i would definitely say go back and watch it if you can especially during july while we're going to be having a little break and i will just kind of end this episode with a couple quotes that i loved from her that we got out of the interview recordings and the first is you can see and feel everything in clothes the second is my education was the world the third is a new dress doesn't get you anywhere it's the life you're living in that dress and the last one is i believe we only live through our dreams and our imagination that's the only reality we ever know so that's everything um like I said, we'll still have Fact Friday this week, but then that little three-week break, if you want to take some time to leave reviews during the break, I always love that. I'll keep like updating Instagram and things like that during the break as well, but you can always send DMs on there if you have questions about anything, especially if you're catching up on book and movie club things. But yeah, that's it. I'll see you for Fact Friday. Mm-hmm.